Cinefessions Podcast. I'm your co-host, Brandon Chowan, and joining me, as always, are my two other co-hosts. We got Chris Ranson. Hello. And we have Ash Collins. Yo. So before we dive in, I wanted to announce a couple of cool features that we got going on on the Cinefessions website. First off, now you can email any questions or comments regarding the podcast directly to podcast at cinefessions.com. And then if you have any other general inquiries about the website or just questions in general, doesn't matter what it is, you can email us at contact at cinefessions.com. And then the other exciting new feature that we got is now you, the listener, can call in and be a part of the Cinefessions podcast. So do you have a point to make about a movie that we reviewed? You can give us a call and leave us a message. All you got to do is call 248-871-7974, and I'll put that in the show notes. And... Call in, leave a message, and then we will feature that message on our next podcast. And just as uh, an incentive to call in and ask us a question or leave us a comment, the first person to call in and leave us a message is going to win a digital copy of Thor, The Dark World, Robert Redford's All is Lost, and then a third random horror film from my digital copy collection. So all you got to do is call in, leave us a message, and then I will get in touch with you in order to give you your prize, which is going to be Thor The Dark World, All Is Lost, and then a random third horror film. So it's an easy way to, one, get involved with the show, and two, win a few excellent movies, uh, digital copies of movies. So be sure to uh, leave your email address in the comments section so I can contact you after you leave your voicemail or just leave it on the voicemail itself, which we will obviously block that part out for privacy concerns. All right, so trailers that were released this past week that we are going to talk a little bit about. The first one was the Annie trailer. Chris pointed that this one came. I didn't even hear anything about it. There was no buzz on my Twitter feed about the Annie trailer, but that's all right. Now, personally, I've never seen the original Annie. I'm a theater major with a BFA in acting and an MFA in acting, and I've never seen Annie. I've never been a part of Annie. I've never seen it on stage or the film itself. So my views are going to be, you know, a little different maybe than than some others. I know, Ash, this is a film that you used to watch a lot as a kid. So why don't you go ahead and talk about what you saw in that Annie trailer? Well, casting wise, it could be it could be interesting because I mean, the the people that they've picked for, well, I guess what will be uh, Daddy Warbucks and Annie and uh carol burnett's character in the film the original film they're all capable actors <laughs> but the actual film itself what i saw in that trailer looks absolutely nothing like <laughs> what i remember from annie at all i mean which can be good it can be a good thing some modern remakes are good but I don't know that redoing all the songs with Jay-Z and a bunch of other things is going to really make this appeal. It actually looks like they're going for a younger crowd than the 82 film. The 82 film was actually kind of like they went for like an all-ages crowd. It was a little more of an adult film. This looks less adult and more aimed at kids. So I don't know. I'm not holding out high hopes for this one. This is probably one I will skip and wait till rental. Was that Jay-Z's version of It's the Hard Knock Life? I don't know. Uh, okay. I was just looking. I just happened to look it up on here, and on the remake it says that Jay- uh, Jay-Z was writing new songs for the movie. I don't know if he still was or not. Okay. So I don't even know if they're keeping the original songs and they're just putting jay Z spin on it. That sounded like Hard Knock Life, but I don't know. I, I Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> You know, they they talk about 
people destroying, you know, childhood movies and that trailer just, uh, it made me want to go out and find a copy of the original to watch it to cleanse my brain. Cause that just, wow. Uh, now, Chris, are you a fan of the original? Uh, I vaguely remember it. It's not like, it's nothing special to me. Yeah. <laughs> well, my Facebook blew up about it. Okay. And, uh, so I was like, oh, it can't, like, it can't be that bad. And then, you know, as soon as Cameron Diaz comes on the screen, I just wanted to shoot myself because she's awful in that trailer. My God. Amen. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> like, she's she has some talent. You know, she's okay in some movies. But good God. I don't know what she was doing, but that wasn't acting. I don't know what it was. <laughs> and, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it just doesn't look good. Even Jamie Foxx just... I don't know. It's weird casting, and it's like they—they've—they they've, picked actors that are well known and can do well, but I don't think they're going to do well in this film. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you—you you had Carol Burnett in the first movie as the the drunk woman who runs the orphanage, and I'm sorry, Cameron Diaz was absolutely nothing like Carol Burnett, even in caliber in that trailer. Oh man! Wow! Just, wow! Yeah, I, I should mention that I watched this trailer like just before we started this, and my brain still hurts. <laughs> God. Yeah, I will agree with you. When the trailer started and Cameron Diaz was the first thing that hit, I was like, "Oh my God! What a what is this?" Like I, Cameron, like you said, Cameron Diaz has done some fine roles. But it reminded me of like a less vulgar version of her role in Bad Teacher, kind of mixed with Justin Timberlake's character in that movie. I think Justin Timberlake's an excellent actor, but he is horrendous in Bad Teacher. And it reminded me of like a mix of those two for this character in uh, in the Annie trailer, at least. I think she looks terrible in the trailer. Now, how that translates to the final film, obviously we don't know. But I mean, from the from the trailer... It looks like it's just a very forced performance, which is we've seen from her in the past, and she seems very fake. And so I'm not looking forward to her character. But then as the movie came on and Annie was introduced, I was like, oh, that's different. And it kept going, and I am genuinely excited to see this movie. I think it looks really good. Jamie Foxx came across as excellent in the trailer, I thought. And uh, I think Annie, the girl who plays Annie, I can't... I don't know her name, but I think she was the girl from um, Beast of the Southern Wild. Well, originally, Will Smith was going to do Annie, uh, the remake, apparently. And really? they had originally designed this whole thing around his daughter, Willow. And Willow's outgrown the part, basically. So I don't know whether this is all last-minute recasting, and they're just running through it to get it done, or what. But Well, it's been in development hell for forever. <laughs> has it? Yeah. Yeah. It is the little girl from from Beast of the Southern Wild, and she is an excellent actress. And so I think I don't know. I'm just I'm optimistic for it. I think it looks it looks fun. Now I have zero interest. If I could die and never see the original Annie, and I would be perfectly fine with that. I just don't care to see it. But this one, I genuinely want to see as I stab the dagger through Ash's heart. But, oh my god! I'm sorry. Well, and the, see, that's the thing is the first one is definitely a musical turned into a film that feels like a musical light to me. And and I don't I'm not fond of those. So that might be part of it, too. Now, can we make note that the director is Will Gluck 
And Will Gluck directed probably one of the best teen comedies in the past many years with Easy A. So that's another reason that I'm interested to see it. And he also directed Friends with Benefits, which I haven't seen, but my fiance is obsessed with. So I haven't seen any of his films, actually. You haven't seen Easy A? Oh my gosh, it's so good. Easy A is good. Yes, it is. Okay, so move on to the, the second trailer, which I just watched, which was the Transformers 4 trailer. I am, again, kind of on the outside looking in. I haven't even seen the third Transformers. I fell asleep during the second one and just haven't gone back. Just didn't care anymore. But this has a whole new cast. I don't know. Let's see. What are your, what are your thoughts on this one, Chris? The series has been like hit or miss. Like the first one, I really enjoyed. The second one is god awful. The third one was pretty good. This one, it, it can go either way. I'm, I'm just not sure. It, it doesn't really look good and all the leaks from the set don't make it sound good, but it, they, they might be able to pull it off. I don't know. They might be hiding something. <laughs> Ash, I know you are a big Transformers fan, correct? Yeah. Yeah. What'd you think of this trailer? I've been kind of lukewarm on it. And I was kind of lukewarm on it uh, up until, like, I, the teaser trailer actually got me more pumped for the movie than this did. I mean, the teaser trailer had Optimus riding Grimlock into battle, you know, like, <laughs> right there. You could just have a whole two-hour movie of Optimus just riding around on Grimlock blowing shit up, and I would absolutely love that movie. But what is Grimlock? Uh, Grimlock is the T-Rex. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, he's a full-blown Transformer. I like. I kind of like their take on this. Like, uh, I don't know how they're going to get Grimlock, uh, because Michael Bay, when they first started doing the Transformers movie, was like, "No, no, we're not doing the Dinobots, not at all." And yet here they are, the fourth movie (laughs) with Dinobots. So (laughs) I don't know how they're planning on bringing them in, but I mean, it it looks like it could be interesting. I'm just hoping that they're not pulling a Fantastic Four two and doing something stupid. Uh, like in Fantastic Four 2, the big enemy was not really the Silver Surfer. It was Galactus, and they turned him into a freaking cloud. <laughs> because people can't deal with Galactus as a giant supreme being. But uh, I, I heard rumors that they were talking about building it up to Unicron, which was this giant planet-eating transformer from the original cartoon series in the comic books. So... I I don't know if they're planning on working the next trilogy up to that or or what. The the idea is interesting. They've actually played with the the whole idea of the transformer being damaged beyond repair and hiding out in someone's garage before in the comic books. Uh, only it wasn't Optimus. It was uh, uh, actually the two of them did it. Bumblebee and Skids both did it, if I remember right. But uh, yeah, so that's not necessarily new. But what they've been doing, you know, the whole globe trotting adventure thing looks a little different. So I'm cautious optimism. I Mark Wahlberg is kind of hit or miss for me either way. So it's like some movies I think he's great in other movies. It's like, wow, this is horribly miscast. So we'll see how it goes. I mean, he did pretty well in Pain and Gain, I thought, and which was another Michael Bay film. So they're used to working together. So maybe they'll carry that over. The two-headed dragon thing sold me on the Transformers trailer. I have no idea who that is or what that is, but I thought it was awesome. Could be one of the Terracons, not sure. I haven't okay. done enough I haven't done enough snooping on the uh the Cybertron website to see what's going on and who's in it. Right. I'm kind of going in blind. Aside from some of the really cool new like robot animal hybrid things that they got going on there. I think it looks pretty generic, but because they have those cool uh whatever you want to call them hybrid characters there. I'm interested to see it, but it's probably one that I just won't make it to the theater to see. 
So this month, we decided to talk about some Bollywood films, which is a genre that I'd never stepped into before. We watched uh, Doom, Doom 2, and Bride and Prejudice. We would have watched Doom 3, but unfortunately, it's still in theaters, and it's nowhere near me, probably nowhere near Ash either. Chris, did you s- you didn't see Doom in theaters? I saw it. Oh, you saw Doom 3? Yeah. Oh, okay. I, didn't, I forgot that. I actually saw it before one and two. I mean, you don't really watch them in order. Someone do a synopsis for Doom. Fast and Furious ripoff Bollywood style? Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty much it. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. It so, starts off that way, but then it's not. Right. That's Yeah, I would agree with that completely. Yeah. So in Doom, there's this... According to uh, IMDb, a gang of bikers rob one place after another in Mumbai. Their super fast bikes make it too fast to catch for Mumbai police. That's it. That's the uh, synopsis for Doom. <laughs> so, um, Chris, now you said if in a perfect world we would have watched Bride and Prejudice first and then watched the Doom series, but in reality, me and Ash happen to watch Doom first because I think it was expiring on Netflix. So we're gonna start with Doom and then uh, and then go from there. Ash, is this your first Bollywood film, or have you watched more? I've actually watched other Bollywood films before. Horror, actually. Uh, no music. <laughs> or no musical numbers, rather. Okay. Um, That's disappointing. I'll admit it. But uh, They did a... There was a Bollywood uh, remake of The Eye, the Korean flick, that actually got released before the U.S. version did. And uh, I'd actually seen the Bollywood version before I saw the Korean version before I saw the American version. So okay. I'd actually, yeah, um, uh, the uh, I'm there. All three of them are pretty much identical. So kind of, you know, pick your favorite actress and go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, they weren't unfamiliar to me. Um, these are a lot more uh high production value than i'd seen before because the eye uh the eye remake and i don't even remember the name of it. it wasn't called the eye it was something else you could tell it was a smaller a much smaller budget than anything that we watched mm-hmm. um and and it worked it still worked it wasn't you know it's still creepy and they changed some of the specifics to fit the area that they were filming in uh, as opposed to, you know, going exactly with what the Korean version did for the, the ending and a couple of other sequences. So that was cool. But, uh, so no, this wasn't my, my first foray into Bollywood, but it was my first foray into an actual Bollywood style production as opposed to a remake of something else. Okay. And what were your initial thoughts on the film? When I first dove into it, I was kind of like half paying attention. I was like, oh, so this is just, you know, my initial thoughts were, wow, this is just like a ripoff of Fast and Furious, except with high speed bikes instead of cars. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely not. And the uh, the characters are a lot more 
they're a lot different. You don't get nearly as much interaction with the the bad guy in this in the first Doom or the the bad guy crew because it's not just one guy. And the the music is actually pretty good. It's catchy. They have a lot of really great scenes with it, and uh, it's it reminds me a lot of the over the top '80s action flicks in a lot of the stuff, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's just you know it's be prepared for the you know the impossible to be possible. <laughs> yeah, when. I first turned the film on, and that first number is that musical with Jai and Sweetie, and I was, I my first thought was, what in the bloody hell has Chris made us watch? I, I was like, what in the hell are we watching? But then I stopped judging and just started listening to the music, and the music was very catchy, and I really liked it. And then this, the story goes on and I got that Fast and the Furious vibe, but then it continues and you realize this is quite a bit different than Fast and the Furious. I think my favorite part of the, my favorite part of probably all three of these films is the musical numbers in them, which was just completely unexpected. You have this ultra high budget action film and then all of a sudden there's these musical breaks in it. It's completely different for, for anything that I'm used to watching. And I really, I really enjoyed that part of it. Now, Chris, are you, have you spent time with Bollywood or Indian cinema or Hindi cinema prior to these three? Or were these kind of the ones that got you started and then you started watching some afterwards? Or how did it go? Well, I, I first saw Bride and Prejudice, which I think is a great gateway. Yeah. It's not as foreign as the other ones, and it's a more well-known story. And then I saw Doom 3 because it was in my theater. So I didn't know quite what to expect there. Like the movie sounded awful from the description, but I was like, <laughs> "All right, I'll just go with it." Mm-hmm. But uh, that that was it. And then I've actually only ever seen Doom and Doom Two. Okay, uh, I have a number in my Netflix queue though. So I, I blame you for the long <laughs> string of Bollywood movies that I watched <laughs> after I finished Doom and Doom Two, <laughs> and they were really good and really traumatizing at the same time. And it's all your fault. <laughs> what was the best one you watched outside of these ones? It was actually with one of the stars of Do- uh, the stars of Doom Two were actually in it. Um, hang on, I can get the name for you. Okay, the actor is Rithik Rosen, Roshan, and oh my god, he's gorgeous. He is a very gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the the main bad guy in the second one. Yeah. Did you see his thumb? He has like a yeah. second thumb. Yeah, he does have a second thumb. That actually like threw my wife there for a bit. Uh, <laughs> the one that I watched that I actually really liked had him in it uh, was Guzar. I'm probably saying it, butchering it, and I apologize for any Hindi speakers out there. Uh, it was Guzarish, which means request. Uh, it's a drama film. It's a drama romance, and it stars uh, Rithik and uh, Aishwara Rai who is the female lead in the in Doom 2 and he plays a paraplegic or a quadriplegic sorry who's a former magicianist former stage magician who actually got paralyzed from the neck down and he's looking to get a mercy killing he wants to euthanize himself because he's lived with us for far too long and he's actually starting to break down anyway his body's and uh it's about him going on this odyssey to try to get make it legal for him to be put down and the the scenes where he's a quadriplegic are are really traumatic to watch i mean it, it starts off where he's kind of good-natured about everything but it's just his life is kind of falling apart around him uh, so that's really traumatizing. And it's good. It's not, you know, bad. It was just like, wow. It's like, don't go in expecting this to be all happy. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the, uh, 
what they end up doing is they, they kind of do the whole Bollywood spectacle for flashbacks to when he's doing his magic shows, when he could still walk and like when he's dreaming about his shows on what he used to do. And those are amazing to watch. So those are musical numbers? They're not necessarily musical numbers. There's okay. music to them, but it's they do it up like he's like a full stage magician doing the act, and they do all sorts of neat tricks with lighting and uh, effects and how he you know does the floating stuff and uh, all sorts of neat things with it. But as far as visuals go, but yeah, the story was really really well done, and the acting is fantastic in it. So I yeah tearjerker definitely yeah. Awesome. I'm definitely going to check that out then. The female lead, Ashwarya, I think is how you say her name. So. Yeah, I think so. I, I'm, I'm probably butchering her name. She was also in Pride and Prejudice, too. Correct. Yeah. I, I was listening to interviews on YouTube trying to figure out how to say her name correctly, and I still can't get it. But she is gorgeous. My fiance said she was watching uh, parts of Doom 2 with me, and she was just like, my God that's the most beautiful woman in the world. Like, how do you, like, what do you do with yourself when you're that gorgeous? And I was like, yeah, you're right. She is very, she's very pretty. Um, <laughs> it was, she's, and she's great too. She was excellent in, uh, in Bride and Prejudice. And then see her in there and you thought, you know, she's a very pretty girl. And then you go to Doom too. And it's like this complete 180 where it's Bride and Prejudice is kind of more this traditional character. And then in Doom, she's this super sexy character. And I thought it was awesome to see the, you know, the juxtaposition between the two. I thought it was really cool. Oh, she's an amazing actress. Uh, in the other two movies, it's like it's like night and day. Especially if you watch Doom Two and Bride and Prejudice, where they're slightly more happy. When you go to the movies where she has to actually show acting chops, she is fantastic. One disappointment, and this is not Doom's fault at all. This is Netflix's fault. The subtitles. And I think you guys talked about it too. They're so, <laughs> man, they're just terrible. Like when I was watching Doom Two, I had a, a DVD from Netflix and. Even during Doom 2, like, they would be saying things in English, and then the subtitles on the bottom would say something completely different in English. And it's like, what? It doesn't make sense. So, I think what I really liked about Doom was the fact that they're able to mix these action sequences and tell this awesome story, which I thought was really cool that they're able to mix that, both of those things, with the musical numbers that would, you know, should otherwise seem out of place. And Doom has my my favorite songs in it, I would say, out of the... Out of the three film, out of the three Bollywood films that we watched, Doom has to have my uh, my favorite selection of songs. And the character of Ali, who is in uh, Doom Two, and I think he's also in Doom Three, correct, Chris? Yes. Okay. I thought he's he's just hilarious. I was la like laughing out loud at his character in both Doom and Doom Two on multiple occasions. I thought he was very funny. The way he always sends up to his mom, "Mummy," was very funny, and I, he's just. It, a likable character. And I think that's what works with both of these movies is that they just have likable characters all around. And so that really helped just push it over the top as, wow, this is, this is a really fun film. And this is a genre that I need to check out more of, which I think is great. Chris, what were your, what were your thoughts on, on Doom? I know you saw Doom 3 first and then you went back and watched the other one. So how did that play into, uh, uh it doesn't, I, I don't think it really changed anything. I mean, yeah, they're, their own separate stories. Uh, the women are sexy in the first Doom, mm -hmm. and they they have like the two best numbers, the one in the rain and yeah. the first musical number. And I agree, the music in the first Doom is just I, I liked it way more than the other two. It's just stronger, more fun. 
Yeah, and I'm definitely going to try to get some of the music onto this podcast so you guys can you can hear some of it as well. So see, I like the music in Doom too better, but I mean, I like the music in Doom. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong, I think it's great. I like the stuff in Doom too better, but it might be because I resonate uh, the, the the characters, the villains actually get more uh, time in Doom Two for music uh, than they did in Doom. And I like the villain characters better too, too. <laughs> that might be part of it. I yeah. think you just have a crush. You and your that could be part of it. I, 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 I admit, I have a huge crush on Rithik, and Aishoara is fantastic. I, yeah, you know, my wife thinks so. so. <laughs> and I think that is a good segue to Doom Two because I think Doom Two is kind of the deeper film. There's much just much more depth to it who are we supposed to root for is kind of a gray area in the first doom there's there's a clear bad guy and there's a clear good guy and then in doom 2 that's completely thrown out the window because you have this rithic roshan who plays mr a who the audience comes to know and i at least really liked and i really liked his relationship with ashwarya's character suneri and they had some really fun slow motion rain sequences as well. That was like the first movie with uh, Ali and his interest, his love interest. There's a scene toward the end of the film that is, I thought was incredibly powerful. It just plays on, you know, the shot is very simple. Just this steady shot on these two actors in the scene. And the camera doesn't really move that much. And it's just all about the power of the moment the power of the acting which i thought was awesome a lot of the times in the film you have these big dance numbers you know music big car chases explosions and speaking of you know 80s action films doom 2 immediately from the get-go blows anything doom could have done out of the water with the ridiculousness of it the way the motorcycles just fly through the air (laughs) i was just thinking about how the in, in like the opening scene, how uh, Jai's character, or how the character of Jai just comes flying up out of the water on his jet ski, which he, he was just chilling at the bottom of the ocean. I don't know. And so he just comes flying up out of there and starts shooting. Like it, just, it was hilarious. And I loved it because it was just so over the top. But that's the world that they created. And so, you know, I understand that. And that's that's fine. It didn't throw me for a loop. I was just like, wow, this is ridiculous. But it was it was a ton of fun. And that's what matters. Ash, what did you think of uh, Doom Two? Out of uh, uh, Doom Two is actually my favorite of the of the two Dooms, at least. And actually, I liked it better than Pride and Prejudice. Although I like Pride and Prejudice, I thought the villains were much stronger. It is a much deeper film, despite all the craziness that goes on. Ali is fantastic as the comic relief again. They throw another monkey wrench into the, their group there by adding another in person uh, to the the good guys, supposedly. I think Doom 2 builds off of Doom's strength, because Doom, you've already established the good guys, basically, Mm -hmm. or the two main leads. And then uh, they were able to play around with that quite a bit, uh, especially with with Jai's wife and uh, and Ali's relationship with her and uh, a few other things. And then throwing in, you know, the possible love triangle, old flame thing and... Uh, and then Sunari and Mr. A's relationship is, you know, great. So I, I while I do think the action's way over the top, <laughs> I really way over the top. The opening scene, I was like, wow, <laughs> we're just throwing it all out the window and going right. to town. But I think, I think uh, Mr. A's robbery on the train now kind of set the tone for that, which in that scene, the way they had that all choreographed out was just fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause he, he, 
breaks onto this running train in the middle of the desert by skydiving onto it and then disguises himself as a queen to steal a crown. And it's just the way they've done, they, they laid it all out and then him escaping is just fantastic. I loved it. All with a snowboard. <laughs> yes. Yes. It was great. I would have loved to see more with that love triangle you're talking about um, with the, that third character that was introduced that was kind of friends with Jai in college. She kind of yeah. just disappears, but yeah. Shanali. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What did you think of this one, Chris? I, I enjoyed it. It's weird because like it's a sequel, so it, it shouldn't be as good. <laughs> right. But I mean, it's fun. The villains are much more entertaining and I just loved all the ridiculous disguises that, you know, just make no sense. Mm-hmm. Like the work. dwarfs. The dwarf thing, I just don't understand how they oh, pulled yeah. it off. <laughs> but, uh, the statue. The statue was fantastic. Oh, yeah, it was. It was just complete fun. Like I enjoyed it. Not as much as Doom. And I think that's because I didn't like the music as much. But, you know, everything else is just that much better than the first one. I thought the music was better in the first one. I thought the dancing was better in the second one. Now, mind you, I can't dance a lick if you paid me, but... <laughs> Just from a viewer standpoint, I thought the dancing was better in the second one. And then I thought the second one moved along at a much quicker pace than the first film. And so overall, I just, I liked Doom. I enjoyed Doom 2 more than, than Doom, even though I still really liked Doom. I like that both films had an intermission. I thought that was really cool. Most of them seem to. I think that's, uh, that's actually a Bollywood thing. They actually have intermissions in, uh, in the Hindi cinemas. Uh, okay. so they, they'll stop the film. You get up, you go out, you get some snacks, go to the bathroom, come back, and then they show the rest of the film. Yeah, like live theater. And the with the first Doom, I feel like I needed that intermission, and so I took time. But then the second Doom, intermission came, I just plowed right through, because I, I wanted to keep going. And so, yeah, overall, I enjoyed the second Doom um, better than the first one. Chris, what, a, uh, what about a star rating for the first Doom? What do you give the first Doom? Three and a half, probably. Awesome. And what about you, Ash? Uh, the first one, I'd give a three and a half, yeah. Okay, the first one I give a three, which alert the presses. I have a lower score than you guys. I think that's the first time ever. <laughs> um, yeah, I saw you guys making fun of my my taste on Twitter today. Um, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and then, what do you give? Uh, what about Doom Two, Ash? I would actually give Doom Two a four out of four. Awesome! I love that movie. I think that might be your one of your first four out of fours, at least in the podcast. Four, of, yeah, the ones we've talked about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, what about you, Chris? Uh, three and a half. I'm going to just keep it even there. Yeah. And I say a three and a half for Doom 2. So that's great scores for, for both films. And they're definitely ones that I recommend checking out. But like Chris was saying, Bride and Prejudice is kind of... And that's the first thing I thought of when I was watching it. It's in English, one, the majority of it. And... uh it just it seems like a starter Bollywood film, you know, a beginner's Bollywood film, if you will, which probably all three of these are really, but Bride and Prejudice felt that way more so than anything. And I was reading that a lot of Bollywood films are kind of turning to English as the spoken language in the films more so now than in the past. And it was so weird because you go from Doom, which is, you know, pretty much all in Hindi, and then to uh, Bride and Prejudice, which is almost all in English. So that kind of threw me off for a little bit, but... Bride and Prejudice is obviously, going. this is a modern retelling of the Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice, as you most assuredly guessed from the title. And I was in Pride and Prejudice when I was an undergrad, and I just don't like the story. I don't like the play at all. I didn't like the book, whatever. I don't know. Just bores me, frankly. Um, and so I wasn't super excited to watch this one, but I think they did enough different things with it 
that made it much more enjoyable. And specifically, again, the music. I just really enjoyed the music. Um, it was really strange watching Saeed dance. I will say that. And I hope you get my reference. But uh, Naveen Andrews, he's excellent. He is excellent at everything he does. And I thought he was great in this. And then you had like the American characters or, well, UK characters and Daniel Gillies playing Johnny Wickham, which I thought he did. A, he did a fine job. And um, it was so weird seeing Alexis Bledel pop up toward the end of the film as um, Darcy's sister. I thought that was really funny. Ash, what did you what did you think of Bride and Prejudice? I really liked it. I've actually only ever I've read <laughs> and my my friends are going to hate me for this, but I've never actually read the actual Jane Austen novel. My introduction to Bride and Prejudice was Bride and, or Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. <laughs> um, so uh, that's how I actually learned the story. I didn't actually see anything or read anything about Pride and Prejudice before that. So uh, that was kind of my intro to it. But the they keep certain elements in in that, given that it's a parody to make it work. Um, but then uh, I've actually watched a couple of the different movies uh, that they've done over the years. I went back and actually rented those to, to watch those, but I, I still haven't read the original book. But I I liked their casting choices. They had a lot of really great actresses and actors. Uh, again, Aishwara is in it. I know I'm butchering her name. Oh my god, it's <laughs> close. But she's fantastic in that. Uh, she she does the spunky, you know, kind of look. This is how I am. Deal with it perfectly. I thought that she was fantastic in that in that role. the The songs were were decent. I didn't like them as much as you know the Doom series songs, but I mean they were fun. But I honestly I couldn't remember a single one of them now. Uh, not having you know even though I've only watched that film and the Doom films you know once. It's like the Doom songs. It's like they they stick with you, and this one they just didn't. There was the one scene that. I was waiting for, and I'm glad that they kept it in because uh, it's my favorite scene in the books and the films themselves. Is uh, it was when the mother's absolutely flipping out about marriage and everything else, and that her daughter should take you know this guy's hand in marriage, and the daughter doesn't want to, and the father's just like, look. I will, you know, respect your decision, but I will absolutely not respect your decision if you do take his hand, you know, type of thing. And mm-hmm. it's just, I love the way that scene plays out. And then this version, it was just, it was perfect, especially with the mother. They picked this great over actress. She is like the William Shatner of Hindi <laughs> and it, and and her reaction to that scene and the father's straight deadpan. It was just perfect i loved how that played off that was just fantastic i love that uh but yeah i thought it i thought it was really well done uh it was a lot of fun yeah i love that scene too it's funny you mention that because i was thinking about that scene too if you don't marry him she'll never talk to you again and if you do marry him i'll never talk to you again i thought that was that was excellent and it was an awesome like the family relationship between all the characters was just great and i think that just plays into the the how fun the film is and talking about the music I agree. This music is probably the, my least favorite of the three. It kind of borders on the line of catchy and corny. And then there's that one song in the middle that is both catchy and incredibly corny. And it's when they sing No Life Without Wife. And all three sisters are singing and pointing at Eshwarya's character and singing No Life Without Wife that, uh, Mr. or Mr. Coley. That's his quote. I thought that was. The epitome of like the corny and the catchy all at once. 
I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that song because that's like my favorite part of the whole movie. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's just completely ridiculous and funny, and, and it's obscenely catchy. Like I like that's my favorite part. Yeah, <laughs> makes the movie for me every time. <laughs> I actually think that they were trying to possibly do like a throwback to uh, "I'm So Pretty" from West Side Story with that. Just mm. the setup, the pacing of the song, and you know, all the things that they do to pantomime marriage and all that other stuff, you know, it just, I got the feeling that they were trying to, to recreate that a little bit. And I think that made it work a lot too. Yeah. I love the character who throws out that line in the first sight, that Mr. Coley character. I thought he was hilarious. Did a really good job. He reminded me of Ali as the comic relief. I feel like there's in all three of these films, there is that, that one comic relief character and Ali is it in both the doom series. And then Mr. Coley is it in bride and Prejudice. I thought he did a really, really fine job. Talking about the dancing again, which again, if people who knew me knew I was talking about dancing, they would just smack me. I get made fun of constantly for dancing. And I feel like some of the dance numbers more toward the beginning of the film were the same type of dancing that I always get made fun of for. And so I thought it was hilarious just to watch, to watch some of the dancing because I think it's just leaps and bounds better in the Doom series than it is in the Bride and Prejudice series, which I think it's supposed to be because the the Bride and Prejudice kind of gathers up all these, you know, people in the city and, uh, there's that, the one scene, the, it's like the second or third scene in the film when the three sisters are walking for, you know, what they say might be the last time that they're walking together through town. And there's all these colors, these vibrant, you know, colors of the rainbow I thought were really cool. And they're just random people coming up to them and, and singing parts of the song. And so it was just really, uh, again, corny, but, but catchy at the same time. I thought it was funny. I think that's why it's kind of like a good little starter film because it's it's giving you an idea with like the colors and the way the numbers play out and mm-hmm. just music like that that's the biggest shock like you're when when you sat down with like doom you're not expecting it right right and you're like what the hell <laughs> but uh, with this you pretty much know from the start because I think it opens with that number in the palace or whatever it mm-hmm. is which I think is like the only like Hindi part it's like right yeah exactly. But yeah, it was my first film into the genre. And, you know, I always liked it. And I actually rewatched it. I, don't know, I think it was between the two Doom films. You've watched this years ago or? When it first came out. Okay. I was actually going to pick it for the film swappers thing. Mm. And then we uh, started the podcast with the Steam. And I thought it'd be a great way because it's a good starter film. Right. And then Doom because I wanted to see Doom because I wanted to see it. So mm-hmm. might as well make you guys watch it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just really, I'm really happy that I've been, you know, opened up to this, to this genre of filmmaking, this, you know, Bollywood filmmaking, which, you know, I was reading, you know, people mistakenly consider all Hindi cinema Bollywood, but in reality, it's not all, all in this vein. And I feel like, um, Ash, you probably touched on one that's maybe, you know, not in this vein, and that's that Guzarish. Um, and so I'm really interested in checking that out. And then, I didn't even think about horror film, Hindi horror films. That's, you know, where I got to go next. So, Ash, what would you give Bride and Prejudice on a star rating? I'd give it a solid three, three out of four. Cool. And what about you, Chris? Uh, I'm going to be a little less generous. I'm going to give it a two and a half. I mean, production-wise, it's just not as good as the other ones, and it doesn't hold up quite that well. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised. I'm honestly surprised. <laughs> I thought you were going to go higher. I'd give this one a three. I gave it uh, a six out of ten on IMDb, so it's a little bit lesser than Doom. But, um, you know, I would say it's a good film. I enjoyed it, had fun with it, didn't fall asleep, which is always a plus. So um, I give it a solid three stars. And so I'd say our first foray into the uh, Bollywood cinema was definitely a positive one and one that I'm excited to dive deeper into. I don't 
we finish up our podcast today. Chris, you got around to watching Last Days on Mars. Is that correct? That is correct. All right. And now I said, now, first off, I didn't say I disliked the movie. And if I, <laughs> I, I don't think I said that anyway. I just was a little bit disappointed with it. I thought it could have done more than what it did. You, you commented on Twitter that you thought my, uh, you questioned my taste <laughs> and uh, you thought it was really good. What did, what were your thoughts on it? I really enjoyed it. I mean, it's definitely like a lower budget Prometheus, but I was entertained the whole time. <laughs> I mean, it's a little slow at first, but once you get over that little hump, like the action kicks in and I, know, I like the characters and I don't know, I liked it. <laughs> I was surprised. I went in with low expectations because mm-hmm. you weren't thrilled with it. For the for those that don't know, Last Days on Mars is a new film that just came out on DVD last week. It's about these, this group of astronauts who explore Mars and they're, you know, they're for their, literally their last like 24 hours. And eventually they are exposed. Some of them, one of them is exposed to the elements. And, uh, basically it kind of turns into this zombie film, which I thought was really cool. But like you said, and, and Lee F. Schreiber, I thought is excellent in it. And I thought the acting overall was really good. So I really like that aspect of it, but it starts off slowly, which is fine. It's, you know, sci-fi horror and good number of them start off slow. But then the action picks up the second, though, you know, the second that the, the zombies, if you will, they're not they're not zombies, but whatever you want to call them. Infected. The infected. Yeah, exactly. Once they enter the scene, it's like, oh, shit, this is this is going to be awesome. I literally thought to myself, oh, here it is. This is the moment where this movie turns great. And then it kind of just went along and nothing really took it up another level. It kind of went to that peak to, in the beginning of the film and then just kind of plateaued there didn't really do anything else for me so i thought it was a really cool idea i thought the acting was excellent it's another one i gave a six out of ten two and a half stars but i just was hoping for more it's a first time director though so i mean you can't fault him there i thought he you know great first effort so now see i thought you thought less of it because your comments were a little more negative than that were they it's it's at Redbox. It came out today at the Redbox. So oh, it's not on Netflix. Uh, I don't think so. No, okay. I I hit up like seven Redboxes today. I got like five movies. Which ones did you get today? Did you watch? Uh, the Hungover Games. Oh yeah, which, how was that? Well, it's better than the Starving Games. Okay. Well, but, I figured uh, Starving Games is from the assholes who did Vampire Sucks. <laughs> but uh, it's not funny. Like it tries and it doesn't offend. It it just kind of exists out there in the spoof genre. There, yeah. <laughs> I've seen better and worse. And then I watched uh, the Best Man Holiday, which which was the sequel to a film no one wanted, <laughs> and, it, and it it's two hours long, which is way too long for my wow. attention span, and it just dragged and dragged. And then it threw in every cliche it could find. Ends with a nice little. Hey, we're going to do a third one. Oh, jeez. Anything that you watched recently, Ash, that begs to be talked about? I kind of dove headfirst into Star Wars The Clone Wars, so I've, yeah. <laughs> I haven't really been watching a lot of movies. Uh, let me look at my profile and see what I've been watching. Oh, I finally got around to watching Valkyrie, uh, which I okay. thought was pretty decent. Uh, the one with Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. I'd actually never seen that one before. The final cut uh, with Robin Williams, which I thought was amazing. Love that one. That one uh, deals with memories 
and people like recording their memories and then having them kind of chopped up into like a, mo- a mini movie for you know people to watch. Um, but it gets beyond more than that, obviously. Um, but that one was pretty good. Uh, Bad Milo was kind of funny. <laughs> but, that movie is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I. There are parts of it that I thought were hysterical, and other parts I'm sitting there going, oh my god, this is so freaking gross. And not in a good way. <laughs> um, and then, uh, like, before that, and I kind of did that to cleanse myself after the nine-movie Hellraiser marathon I did at the beginning of the month. So, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Just stop after the first four. Don't bother <laughs> with the last five. Just now, have you read I, the book that Hellraiser is based on? Yeah, the Hellbound Heart. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Is it good? I, I have it on my Kindle. If, I just... if you've watched Hellraiser, you've pretty much read the book. It's pretty. It's actually fairly close, if I remember right. I remember reading it after I saw the movie. Uh, when I was younger, and I'm like, wow, this is a lot. This is pretty close to the movie. <laughs> so, but uh, it's it's basically the Hellbound Heart is basically like the first film. That's that's where they base the first film off of, and then after that, it kind of goes from there. I don't know. I liked the first four Hellraiser movies. I really liked the third one, and then the other five were the other five, like the last one was. <laughs> They put together in like two weeks because they realized, oh shit, we're gonna lose the license. <laughs> so it's not great. And the sad thing is, it's actually out of the last five, it's the closest to an actual Hellraiser movie that they made out of those five. So <laughs> if they'd redone the other four so that they weren't Hellraiser movies, they could have been really good, like horror flicks. But as they're like kind of shoehorning these ideas into the Hellraiser mythos, they don't work. It's just, it's like, there's like a really decent movie here if we cut out the Hellraiser stuff that you guys threw in because, oh yeah, we forgot we're making a Hellraiser movie. So, you know, that was kind of my opinion on those. But And that's something to look forward to coming up on Cinefessions is a complete series review of Hellraiser from Ash. So be sure to check that out because that'll be coming up in uh, hopefully the next week or so here. We'll get that going. I watched a lot of stuff. Late. I watched the 30 Days of Night and its sequel, which 30 Days of Night is an awesome underrated vampire film, in my opinion. I really like that movie. It's like super brutal, which I think is just what a vampire movie needs. But then I watched the sequel for the first time. And I think that one gets a lot of undeserved hate. I really like that one. It is set in Los Angeles as opposed to Barrow, but it's kind of just like a all balls out action flick, even more so than the first film. But I thought it just told an interesting story and uh, continued on in that same vein of these are just badass vampires that you need to take seriously. And I really like that. So it's kind of like the 30 Days of Night sequel is kind of like the Haunting in Connecticut sequel where it's a, you know, it's like, oh, it's a, you know, a vampire flick, but we're just cashing in on the name. Um, well, the I haven't seen Haunting in Connecticut, too, but I heard that that one doesn't even like follow the same story at all. Is that correct? No. Haunting in Connecticut, too, actually takes place in Georgia. Right. So they probably should have just called it a haunting in in Georgia, but uh, and and it uh, doesn't even have the same kind of haunting or or anything like that. So, so with Thirty Days of Night, Dark Days, it takes place six months after, and you're following the same female lead character from the first film. We know it's a different actress, but they 
they do that really well in the beginning of the movie. They kind of put her, the new actress, into the final scene of the last movie. So you know, one, that you're dealing with the same actress, which is something I always have a problem with. If it's a new actor in the same role, I always, am I, am I working with the same character or is this a new character? I always could find that confusing, but they did that really well. And so it takes place six months after, and she's kind of like trying to convince the world that this is a real thing, but no one believes her, and they just keep laughing at her. Um, and so then she comes across this, this group of survivors that have also survived the vampire attacks from across the, across the country. And so they kind of combine forces to take down this vampire leader, who was the one who issued the attack on Barrow. And so it, it's definitely like a story that's tied together, which I think is why I liked it so much. Because it's oh, not okay. just it's not just that it's not just using that name. Okay. Yeah. It's based on the comic too. I haven't read it, but I know there's like both films are based on the comic. Right. I read the I read the original graphic novel, and it was literally the first graphic novel I ever purchased, and I it's awesome. And uh, but I have not read the one that the the sequel's based off of. I've only read the first one, but I know there's a ton a ton of Thirty Days a Night comic. Yeah. But um, the other film I watched though was June seventeenth, nineteen ninety four which was like a, a documentary from the 30 and 30 uh, film series from ESPN. And that was really awesome because like, obviously I was alive on June 17, 1994. And I remember that because I was at my uncle's house watching everything unfold on, on their TV in the bedroom, but I never could appreciate because I was only, you know, whatever, 10 years old at that point. No, not even eight years old. And so I didn't really appreciate what was going on, but that on June 17th, there's all these different things going on in the world. The major event was the O.J. Simpson Bronco incident after the killing of his wife and his wife's friend. And then you have, on the same time, you have the start of the World Cup in Chicago. You have the New York Rangers that morning having their Stanley Cup celebration parade in the streets of New York. And then you have the uh, New York Knicks playing the Houston Rockets in Game 5 of the NBA Finals. And then you have Arnold Palmer playing uh, what was his final U.S. Open. So you have all these major milestone events in sports all taking place around this real world event based on this who you know obviously was a sports superstar in oj simpson and it was really cool the director it's it's not a talking heads documentary like you normally see there's there's no commentary there's no narrator there's no you know voiceover track or anything like commenting on the events of this day now looking back Instead, the director just presents everything as it unfolded, obviously, with very, um, you know, creative editing and mixing of, of live audio tracks from the day and, and news footage, ESPN footage, um, the game itself, the uh, Knicks and Rockets game itself. It was really cool to see. And then watching Al Collings drive OJ Simpson down these California highways, trying to get him to his to his house and just literally thousands of people following them standing on the bridges as he drives by, waving at him, you know, showing their support for him, just hundreds of, of press at his house waiting for him to show up, cops everywhere. Like, it was it was nothing I could have appreciated back when I was eight years old, obviously. So to see it again was really, really fascinating. And I thought it was a really cool documentary. It was real short. It was less than an hour long, but it was a really good documentary if you're into sports and uh, know something about that day. So I thought that was really cool. Something definitely worth uh, worth mentioning.
as we wrap it up here, I'm excited to announce that April will be spent in the asylum on Cinefessions. Chris, Ash, and I are dedicating the month of April to as many asylum films as we possibly can. Uh, the asylum is known mostly for their mockbusters, films that they'll release that are trying to capitalize on the big budget fl- films of the day. Like when Transformers came out, they released Transmorphers. I Am Legend came out, they released I Am Omega. Um, and, and all these different mockbusters, but they also have a lot of super low budget horror films, which is probably where we'll be focusing most of our attention, I would imagine. I tried to do this last year on my own, but I only got a, like one film in and it was their first feature, Killers, which I surprisingly liked. And so I don't know why I stopped. I just, I just stopped. And so I'm excited to bring it back to the, to the website this year. And, uh, next month's podcast, we haven't decided what we're going to watch yet, but, um, we did talk about reviewing two or three films from the asylum. And so you can look for that in April, which will be um, a lot of fun. I'm guessing our um, review score, if we average out the reviews from this score, I'm guessing it's going to be much higher than April. But uh, that's just a guess. That's just a guess. You never know. (laughs) You don't. You don't until you watch. So that's what I'm hoping to find a few gems in there. And I own a surprising amount of films from the asylum. I don't know why, but I've been buying a lot of them on Blu-ray because they're like 10 bucks at Best Buy. So I've been buying a good number of them. So I'm excited to actually watch those ones and, and talk about them a little bit. But So that's going to be April. It's going to be April in the Asylum on Cinefashion. So make sure you check that out. And you can always find on the website, Ash is continuing through his Lifetime of Film series. We're almost at the 90s. I, I was really excited when I was editing the last couple lists because I was, you know, I was born in 86. And so my list would be from 86 on. And once we hit about 86, 87, I was like, man, I actually have watched the majority of these films, which I was really excited about. Because before that, even though it was only a couple years earlier, there was just a good number of them I hadn't seen on your list. And so I'm excited to keep going because then uh, I know that I, you know, I'm actually going to be able to participate in these lifetime of film lists in the future, which is cool. I can't believe you had the fly so low. That's the only thing that throws me what? off. Where, where did I put the fly? I think it was like number five. Oh, well, what did I have before The Fly? I don't know. Not not movies that were as good as The Fly, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that may have beaten The Fly for me that year, maybe, would have been um, Aliens, because Aliens is amazing. But The Fly would be a, a, it'd be a battle between one and two there for me. Yeah, the, Fly, the Fly is a fantastic remake. That, I mean, right there is the perfect example of remakes being better than the original i mean i love vincent price but the original fly has nothing on the 86 remake yeah (laughs) and your list inspired me to finally watch labyrinth which was amazing i was very (laughs) excited to see that one finally my wife loves that movie yeah so does bridget (laughs) and so that's what she's like always trying to get me to watch i never would then i read your list i was like all right i'll watch it but (laughs) Um, also on Cinefessions, you can check out Chris Wenton's scene, uh, The Wind Rises. So you can check out his review about that one. He really liked it. And so you can see his full thoughts there at Cinefessions.com. And then he also checked out 300 Rise of an Empire, which is one that I was really looking forward to. And then I read Chris's review. Well, you can read it on the website and, and go from there. The other new article on there was a uh, another confessional entry from Chris. And this one was from a 1981 film, Student Bodies which was a horror comedy that predates Scream. So check that out at Cinefessions.com. And again, if you guys are interested in commenting on anything that we've touched on today or um, want to give us any ideas on the Asylum films to watch, anything like that, give us a call. 
The number's in the show notes. It's 248-871-7974. Ash, where else can we find you online? Uh, Diehard Game Fan. I do video game reviews there. And then, of course, on uh, Twitter at DHGFAsh with an E at the end. You just reviewed a anime series there, didn't you? Or was it a book or something? Uh, I reviewed uh, Ari Salvatore book, uh, Night of the Hunter, and uh, which is pretty good. It's the latest in the, the Drizzt D&D books. Awesome. And Chris, where else can we find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Wolverine Factor. Awesome. And you can find me, Brandon, at Simon1 on Twitter, or you can email us at podcast at cinefessions.com or contact at cinefessions.com, whichever you prefer. And uh, again, make sure you look for the podcast in April, which is going to be April in the Asylum, where we dedicate the month to reviewing films released by the Asylum. And so there is a large number to choose from, so make sure you look for that. As always, I want to thank you guys for joining me today. It's been fun talking about Bollywood, and we'll catch you next time. before one and two but i mean you don't really need to watch them in order technically right. <clears throat> yeah Oop, i hear breathing sorry <laughs> 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 uh.